Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. This is where we get together to discuss anything that has to do with the Gospel Commission with different people, pastors, evangelists, Bible workers, church members, and today we have Kale Duvall from Avondale University. Kale, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you coming. Oh, you're welcome, Matt. Hi to all of your listeners, and it's uh, really nice to Yeah, Kale, I, I notice in your accent, you have a very nice accent. It does not sound Australian. Where are you from originally? Matt, you've been too kind to me. Originally yeah, from it. South Africa. Yeah, yes. yes. Born and raised in South Africa. Worked as a pastor there as well. And then I worked in New Zealand as a pastor and as an evangelist. And then in 2009, we got a call to Avondale, and we've spent the last sort of 13 years here at Avondale, Matt. Yeah, it's, man, that's crazy, isn't it? Does it feel to you that you've been there for 13 years, or has time just flown by? That's a good question. Not at all. I tell you what, we've loved our time here so much. And, you know, training the next generation of pastors and Bible teachers has been such a cool blessing. So it's honestly, it's just flown. Yeah, it's the, 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 the I say that because... I've been in Australia now for 10 years, and it does not feel like 10 years, like not yeah. at all. I, I, I remember when I first came here, someone had told me about you, and it was very positive. They were like, yeah, I had friends that were studying at yes. Avondale, and I'd ask, hey, who, 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 what professors do you enjoy listening to? And you'd oftentimes come up as people's one of, one of people's preferred professors, and not to flatter you. I'm not saying that to flatter you. But yeah, and they were, someone had said something, yeah, he's a new guy. He's new. And to hear you say that you've been here for 13 years, it makes me think, wow, man, how time flies, brother. But that's yeah, how yeah, life yeah. goes. Exactly, exactly. I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad you're not saying I'm not one of the old guys. That's right. No, not yet. At least in my mind. And that's how, that's the thing about getting old, right? As you get older, you're never one of the old guys. You're yeah, oh, everyone's yeah. just younger, but it's still a young guy. Today's topic, everyone, is the challenge to evangelism. And I, I wanted to get Kale on today because not only is he a teacher and someone who who trains, but he's actually someone who does evangelism. He does outreach ministry. And even though he's in an academic setting, he stayed pretty active in his preaching and teaching ministry and just finished up a series with our Newcastle University church plant. So Kale, today's topic, the challenge to evangelism. Some people are thinking there's like a million challenges. Could I ask, could I put you on the spot and say, in your estimation, what are some of the greatest challenges to doing evangelistic ministry? Big, broad question, but let's get started with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely, Matt, that's a big question. Yeah, look, there are a range of challenges we face, and I I guess one is just the perception amongst maybe some members that public evangelism, for example, doesn't work, the perception that maybe traditional forms of evangelism doesn't work. So I think you've got that perception amongst some in church land that evangelism doesn't or it's just for the specialist. It's for Matt Parra, it's for Kale Duvall. Let's get the specialist in and let them do evangelism. So I think those, that's one challenge that's intermeshed with, two, with, with those two facets. It doesn't work, and then let's get the specialist in. And then I think on the other hand, we've got challenges in society. We live in an, individu- an individualistic society. You've got a range of isms we're wrestling with, whether it's materialism or consumerism or individualism, secularism. So there, there are, really are, from a structural and corporate standpoint, a range of isms that we're dealing with in society as well. And then I think thirdly, Matt, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we have a cosmic conflict worldview. We understand that there's a struggle between God and... And I think of Revelation 12, 12, where it says that the devil is filled with fury 
and he's come down to to wreak havoc on on the planet because he knows his time is short. So in terms of the cosmic conflict, the third challenge we face is that the devil is indeed filled with anger. And so he's going to be wreaking havoc, seeking to, you know, devour and destroy and mislead and misrepresent God's characters and intensification happening in the cosmic conflict. So that's another challenge that that we're faced with as well. And then I think maybe a fourth challenge that we're grappling with is just as people are indeed lost in sin. They're lost in their brokenness, in their pain, in their turmoil. They're lost in sin. So that too is a challenge. So there's sort of four sort of broad challenges that I've just quickly sketched for us this morning. Yeah, that's really good. Man, I appreciate so much of what you just said, especially in regards to the great controversy. It reminds me of when Jesus says, because iniquity abounds, the love of many waxes cold, mm-hmm. right? And this is, and then he gets on to speaking just about the gospel commission just after that. It almost seems like the, the, the ubiquitous nature of sin in the world it like evaporates the love of many and yes it's really interesting so great challenges to evangelism e- each one of those is almost it's intimidating yeah definitely. what would you say out of the four that you've outlined challenges to evangelism would be the hardest to surmount yeah look i couldn't really put one of them up front i, I wouldn't order any of them i think they're just four serious challenges that we face and obviously in our conversation this morning, we're going to head to the fact that, hey, God, that's far bigger than any challenge. And I think that's where we'll end our conversation, no doubt. But for now, in terms of our conversation, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't order them, Matt. I think they're just there. Yeah. And it's how we address each of them that with the help and the power of the Spirit, of course, that we can overcome. Yeah. Well, I was thinking the Israelite nation, whenever they were separate from God and didn't walk in faithfulness towards him, it seemed like every other challenge became too big for them, like every other issue became. So it was almost like their ultimate issue was their relationship and connection to God. And when you say that the perspective of the church is that something doesn't work, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? So I'm just, I'm not trying to say that one problem is greater than the other, but it seems to me God can solve can deal with any of these issues. It seems to me like the paramount problem is if I have no no faith and belief in the ability of the church to win souls to whatever degree that might be, then that's a real big barrier, you know, to success. Yeah. But yeah. and I guess so just man, to, if I can jump in there, if I can jump yeah. in there, I guess a great starting point would be it would be with us. It would be the church. Do you know what I mean? That would be a brilliant starting point in terms of Number one, hey, there's this perception that only Matt and Kale can do evangelism. And then yep. secondly, hey, it doesn't work. So I think in terms of the challenge to evangelism, we've certainly got to bring in discipleship. Because discipleship, in terms of this first problem we're addressing briefly this morning, it's actually discipleship that empowers evangelism. So yep. we've got to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, lead our members into, into, into a closer and more vibrant walk with Jesus that then actually translates into them acknowledging that disciple is an evangelist. Every disciple is actually an evangelist with the unique gifts and the unique story and the beautiful journey that they have to share with the people in their lives, their neighbors, uh, their friends, uh, their, their workmates. So I think that would be a very good starting That's a great point, yeah, said. So why do you think that most or some people in the church don't believe that evangelism works. Yeah, I guess here in, in, in the first world, in the global north, the returns maybe 
are not, from a human standpoint, the returns are not what we hear about. Hey, and we all love the Adventist uh, review. We read the Adventist review and there's 50,000 people baptized in the global south. And that doesn't happen here in Australia or in the North New South Wales conference. And so we could easily become discouraged when we don't see the return on our investment from a human standpoint. But I do believe from a spiritual standpoint, the returns are there. And it's just that we don't see them from our human calculations, but they are certainly there. So that's one thing to wrestle with. Factoring into that issue, Matt, is some of the spiritual returns are, I'll give you an example. I just completed a a beautiful evangelistic series with uh, our university students at the Warners Bay Church. And Matt, we had maybe three or four kids. I'm speaking about 12, 13, 15-year-old kids involved in the evangelism program. There's a return that nobody's quantifying. But those three or four kids were so involved, I connected with them. I got to know their names. They're just brilliant boys so passionate about reaching the lost. The returns are not on the scale of a global south, but Mm -hmm. the returns are here and we need to be able to see them. Absolutely. And shouldn't we be happy for that? Like whatever, sometimes when I hear people discussing evangelistic success and they'll say something to the effect of, we spent 4,000 bucks and we only won five people. And I think to myself, ooh, man, I don't know how the angels who saw Jesus die on the cross for you know, the sins of the world would feel about that statement. And it's not to say we shouldn't be good stewards and try to get the most results out of the resources we commit. But at the same time, how much is a soul, how much is a soul worth? And if I don't value four people who were purchased by the blood of Christ because I spent $4,000 for them to be saved, I don't know if God's going to really entrust me with more people, if you get what I'm saying. So I wonder sometimes if our mindset is right. We're looking at it as if we're business investors, like I'm not getting enough return upon my investment, 4,000 bucks, I only won three people. And I think, whoa, man, that's that's not cool. We shouldn't think like that. We should think this person is of inestimable worth. This is a child of God that was redeemed by the blood of the son of God. And we got the privilege of sacrificing a little bit of resources for their salvation. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's not about counting numbers and business investing. It's about, these are people, these are human beings. Obviously we want to be wise with our funding and appropriate it in the best possible ways we can and be smart and, and clever. But at the same time, I think sometimes the attitude is is one that I don't know if the Lord appreciates because if we're not rejoicing over the four, why is he going to give us 400? I've, I've thought about this before. Yeah, no, you're very right there. So I think that's one uh, sort of shift that's going to happen within our psyche as Adventist Christians in terms of evangelism. And I think the other one, which I alluded to earlier on, is, hey, I remember when I met my wife, and I tell you what, my friends would say to me, hey, tell me about your girlfriend. And that's that she was just my girlfriend. Hey, tell me about your girlfriend. And the very next thing I would say is, hey, do you have enough time? Because when (laughs) I get started talking about her, man, I just wouldn't stop. And that's that first love, isn't it? That first love just fires you up. And I guess in terms of our walk with Jesus, it's about that first love, passion for him, that then fuels our desire to want to share him with others. That's got to be it. Yeah, I love the, the illustration. I was talking to an old pastor the other day who he his job is to motivate young pastors. And he, he was telling me something that he tells his young pastors to get them more motivated to do outreach. And yeah. I thought it was funny because it's something that I say to the Arise kids too when we do the Arise program. Either he copied me or I copied him. I'm not sure. But he said that he says to young pastors, he's like, look, if I gave you $10,000, 
for mm. every Bible study you received. Like this mm. week, if I just said, I'll give you 10,000 bucks right now, you just go out and just find anybody. I don't care who yeah. they are, how old, how young, how rich, how poor. I don't care who they are. Yeah. You get a Bible study, I give you 10,000 bucks. However many you get, 20 yeah. Bible studies, I give you $200,000. Yeah. Anyways, wow. he said, which pastor in this conference can't get more Bible studies? Yeah. And I say the same thing to the Arise kids. Because we'll send them out in the community to find and, and give Bible studies. And uh, it's not because we think that the way we send them out and knocking on the doors and stuff is the best way to find Bible studies. We just do it because we think it's a good way to train them to develop certain skills and abilities and stuff. And to give them a, a cross to carry, a challenge, a scary big challenge that they can overcome. And and we, when I say that to the young people, they, they just, they get it. It dawns upon them like, wow, yeah, I, I probably could. And 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 then we, we, we get pretty confrontational with the kids and... Say, okay, if we love Jesus, yeah. if we love God, why would it be that we could do something for $10,000 that we just won't do for the love of Jesus, for the love yeah. of God? Exactly. And and it really confronts because I think you know, that applies to me. Mm. Like that applies to us yeah. all. Like we, exactly. we do have capacity that we don't think we have. And it's not more ability we need. It's more desire probably and yeah. self-belief and maybe confidence. That desire comes from God. You know what I mean? He fuels that desire. He fuels that self-belief. And I think that's... Yeah, what do you... I'm just thinking of somebody who's now going to feel like, okay, but wait a second. It's not that I don't believe in mission or God's capacity to win people or our ability to get out there and, and win people, but it's just that it's just like the traditional way of evangelism. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking doesn't work. It's not that God can't win people. It's just that we're just old-fashioned in all of our approaches. Yeah. What's your thought there? Yeah, Matt, in some of the uh, reading I've been doing, and, and no doubt you would acknowledge this as well, I think of the Engel scale. And when you look at the Engel scale, which talks about actually bringing people to conversion, I'm fascinated to know that there are about anywhere from eight to 10 steps on that Engel scale that kind of brings a person to the point of conversion, the point of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. So what that tells me is if there's eight to 10 steps, no awareness of God, no interest in, in, in the gospel, and then progressing along step by step, it means I've got a journey with people. Conversion is not going to happen overnight. I've actually right. got to invest. I've got a journey. I've got to build trust. I've got to build a relationship. I've got to pray. I've got to you know, know the Spirit's leading me. And that means me with someone in my community, someone at work, someone in my sphere of influence, it's, uh, it's me investing in someone else's life and knowing that the Spirit of God is working through me and working in them to bring them to that point of knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So it's a commitment, you know what I mean? It's an investment and it's a journey. In terms of the one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism, that God uh, calls and invites each of us to. Yeah, it, that addresses too, to some extent, the second challenge that you outlined at the beginning. That the world that we live in, there's a lot of isms that seem to align themselves together against the proclamation of the gospel. But at the end of the day, people are people, mm. and they need other people. They need love, mm. support, appreciation. And we can, as a church community, provide a lot of that mm. and, and support and minister to people individually. I want to move into that whole sphere that you brought forward, like that second challenge, because I think we live in a very empty world. Those isms are failing to satisfy, and that's reflect the social stats, right, of the day, like depression is at an all-time high, and we're richer than ever, but we're more sad and depressed as ever as a civilization. And here we are with this 
message of a risen Savior and a soon coming Savior. And it really is, Jesus is the desire of ages. He, he, he has that satisfaction and, and, and fulfillment that everyone is longing. But, but there seems to be a barrier between us and them. And some people would contend that we're so old-fashioned and antiquated in our approaches that we can't relate. But what you're saying, though, it seems, you didn't say this, but it's implied by what you're saying, is that preaching a public evangelistic series is not supposed to be an end in itself. It's, it's supposed to be a part of a larger process. And it's not a good idea to, to just preach a public campaign and that's it. But to have an active church that's engaging with the community and, and ministering to the community and developing relationships and developing interests in various ways, where we then strategically implement the public preaching of the gospel, where we take an individual who's uniquely gifted by God to gain decisions, to preach the message in a coherent, forceful, and inspiring way. It's like maximizing our gift potential. Um, and I think it seems to me like we live, the church is, is a, I think people as a whole are very binary in their thinking. They, everyone likes to think in the either or kind of way of thinking, like either you like public evangelism or you're really friendly and you like to do friendship evangelism. But what if the reality is it's both like properly placed evangelistic preaching that following on from great ministries in the community, you know, where we're generating interest and giving Bible studies and meeting people's needs and just combining things together in a symmetrical type of a way. Yeah, oh, definitely. I agree with you. And what was pretty cool about this last series that we just uh, concluded is, is exactly that, Matt. The church had been active in giving Bible studies, leading people to know Jesus better. When people came along, there was a, there was a real interest and people had already been fed some of the milk. They had been enjoying learning more about Jesus. So that series just took them along. And when we made a call for baptism, we had a couple of people put their hands up for baptism. We had a couple of people put their hands up for Bible studies. But all of that was the preparatory work that personal evangelism had already undertaken. Yeah, you're right there. Yeah, it's funny because it's we all think and see things differently. But one way that my mind works is I distill everything down to its like essence. And mm. when I think of public evangelism, I just think basically gathering people together around an individual who has the gift of evangelism. I don't think of it in a detailed fashion. There's one way to do public evangelism. Like you have to have a 1950s style talk show where you have a host stand up and then a certain kind of music and then whatever else. I just think of it as gathering people around the gift of evangelism and sharing a great and awesome and amazing message about God. And so to me, Whenever I hear someone say evangelism doesn't work or public evangelism doesn't work, I think, man, like all throughout scripture, it always worked at different times and in different contexts with different cultures and different people groups. Like you, when the spirit of God just, and it usually be like at the tail end of a, of a process of events, like where the day of Pentecost, if you wanted to consider that like the public evangelistic series that would have followed on from Jesus's long-term three and a half year ministry. But then you see in Jesus's ministry, there's times where there's a public event. This would be the fulfillment of a lot of health ministry that he had been doing and like localized ministry. Yes, then you have yes. a crowd that would culminate because of all the things that he was doing. So I just, whenever I look at the broad scope of scripture, it just seems like there's nowhere you could find where public evangelism didn't at some you know certain points become very important. And so I, I just think, man, how could we say it doesn't work. That would be like saying the Holy Spirit can't work anymore, or maybe God doesn't work, or yeah. the gifts of yeah. the Spirit aren't available to us. But I know that's not what anyone means when they say it doesn't work. But anyways, that's a thought yeah, that yeah. comes to my mind. Yeah, sure. I guess the, the other thing I've been thinking about is it's, it's how we also couch 
the, the language we communicate in our public evangelistic series, for example. For me, one of the things I did, for example, in the recent series was put out a couple of, of ground rules. And I said, hey, look, let's be respectful of us. Let's not point the finger at others because, hey, three fingers are pointing back at me. Let's focus on Jesus. Uh, he gives meaning and purpose and significance to any teaching, any doctrine in Scripture. And let's focus on, on this amazing thing called the love of God because that's who God is. God is love. So we took a very different approach in this last series that I and we didn't point fingers at any entity, any organization, any church. We said, hey, you know what? Let's just look at scripture and let's try and learn more about Jesus. And let's try and begin to open our minds up to this incredible width, breadth, height, length of the love of God. And so I think that's very important as well. We, we certainly don't want to water down the message God has given us. We want to speak the truth in love, but yes. we also want to communicate in a way that really draws people to God. And I think that's important in our public kind of uh, evangelism as well. That's right. That's right. We don't have to attach antiquated approaches to a public event. We can dispose it differently. We can form it and fashion it differently. That's really cool, man. Hey, the devil's angry. (laughs) Obviously, the devil is a challenge to our evangelistic mission. And as you say, he's intensifying efforts as we get closer to the very end because he knows he has a short time. So he's working frantically. Mm. And he's wroth with the woman and he's making war with mm. the rest of her offspring. And uh, so that, that is a big issue. That's a big deal. What do we do about this fact that, that we're dealing with the intensified efforts of the most powerful, arguably the most powerful being ever created? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, and I, I don't, the Bible's, I think I heard someone say this, that the Bible's careful not to give too much credit to Satan, like in mm. the sense that it doesn't highlight so much who he, kind of these veiled references of Lucifer, the fallen angel, and you know, couched into historical messages about kings. And then you see explicitly in Revelation, his fall described in all this, probably more than anywhere else. It's like clearly communicated this info about Satan. But Jesus gives these references. He's the prince of this world. He has his interaction with him on, on the wilderness. But the Bible tries not to glorify Satan, but I think it's he's a ferocious foe. And it's I think it's arguably, you could argue that he is the most powerful being and the most glorious being that ever came from the hands of the Almighty. I have my reasons for thinking that. But anyways, he's a super intellect. He was able to seduce unfallen beings who dwelt in the presence of God, who excel in glory and strength, and who would be ultra-intelligent themselves. And so to, to be able to pull that off, and to be able to have wreaked the havoc in the universe that he's wreaked, like this is no light reality. This is heavy stuff. And he's here, and he's a real foe, and he's really opposing our work and our efforts. And here we are. What do we do, mm-hmm. doctor? Okay, All we can do is turn to scripture. Yes. And I guess a dragon that intensifies his efforts to destroy God's people has got to be met by the people of God who overcome him by the power of the blood of the lamb. That's the victory that has been assured to us, Matt, that at Calvary, at the cross, Satan was fully and irrevocably defeated by the Lamb. The juxtaposition of the dragon and these beasts waging war against a seemingly meek and timid Lamb is just mind-blowing. Do you know what I mean? It is just mind-blowing that John would couch this great controversy in that kind of way. Is just. But what that does is it just highlights the fact, and there's one word that you use, Matt, very important word. And that word is created. He is a created being, not omnipresent, not omniscient, not omnibenevolent, not omnipresent, just a created being. God, of course, is the creator. 
and in and through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and the, the blood that he spilled there, we have gained the victory. So we engage in evangelism from the standpoint of the victory of Jesus. We engage in evangelism wearing the armor of God, which is the gift of the life, the perfect life of Jesus. We're, we're gifted with that armor and we're engaged in battle from the standpoint of victory, from the standpoint of the triumph that Jesus has achieved for us. Satan intensifies his efforts, but he is met by the lion of the tribe of Judah, this lamb who is also a lion. Oh, man, that's that is crazy. This lion who is also a lamb, this lamb who is also a lion. I believe, man, and I know that you do too, and so do your listeners this morning, that we engage in evangelism from the victory that Jesus has gained for us already. And so we go on in peace. We wear the gospel. Our feet are shod with the gospel of peace. But we go in triumph. We go in confidence. We go in victory to bring others under the banner of this lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb, Jesus Christ. And I think Amen. that perspective, we go. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's so true. Hey, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising mm. this shame and he's now set down yep. so that he, he is on the throne all power is given to him in yes. heaven and in earth and so it's mm. like he dethroned the enemy so Absolutely. the intensification of satanic effort yeah. okay <laughs> it's like so what man? so yeah. what <laughs> yeah his head was crushed and his head Absolutely. was crushed so if you crush the head of a snake and then he yeah. wiggles yeah. a little bit more his head is crushed. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Amen. It, it's almost, have you ever, you've heard the book, you would have listened to the book Pilgrim's Progress or read it. There's a little version for kids that was dramatized and read out like many years ago. It's actually not the book. It's embellished and more is yeah. added to it. But th there's a part in the, and I don't even know if it's in the original book. I've got the book and I read it to my kids, but where there's two giants in front of a castle, the castle's a metaphor for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then there's a person writing down names, whoever wants to enter into conflict with the giants. Mm -hmm. Sorry, there's giants in front of the castle. And if you're, if you're willing to get to the castle, you've got to fight the giants yeah, and yeah. everyone's afraid and everyone's debating why, you know, someone else should go first and they shouldn't go and this and that. Yeah. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden a young guy comes and write my name down, sir. And he takes his sword and he hacks his way in. Mm -hmm. And and basically the at the scene in the book, it's like Christians with the interpreter. And the interpreter explains to him that they were just paper giants. Yeah, like yeah. They, they were ferocious and terrible and trying looking. But anyways, and that might be to a degree what we're facing here. Mm -hmm. And the devil can have as much power as we believe he has. Yeah. And he can as much, it's almost, yeah, I, th I think that might be something to that. He's a paper dragon now he's a paper dragon now sin has been defeated he has been exposed and jesus has reclaimed planet earth on humanity's behalf and so if we're christ this is our home the meek are going to inherit this world and whatever we endure whatever we suffer whatever conflict we have to deal with victory is assured because it's already been achieved it's already been attained absolutely absolutely wow. and i guess Matt, in terms of the challenge of evangelism, which is our topic for this. If you look at the size of your problem, if we look at the size of these challenges, we're going to be daunted and discouraged. But I know if we look at the size of our God, then these challenges are opportunities. These challenges are opportunities. 
And I believe with the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, we can overcome these challenges and see many people, our neighbors, our friends, our family, we can see many people come to know Jesus, the Jesus that we love, the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that we know is coming back again. We can see them saved in God's kingdom as well. Uh, Yeah, I hope that we can see these challenges as opportunities. Yes. Hey, so, brother, have you ever thought of evangelistic outreach ministry is worship. That's interesting. Yeah. So one of the things I, we're so when the Arise program begins and we have all these young people from around the world, we're saying, and we're saying to them, yeah, you're going to get instruction in the class and it's going to be inspiring. And then you're going to have lots of fellowship together. And and when you outline the whole program for them, it's just joy. And then you say, yeah, we're going to spend 16 hours to 20 hours a week in the community, speaking to strangers engaging with them on a spiritual level and seeing if we can get Bible studies. And our goal is to get each and every one of you into Bible studies with a a stranger. Now, immediately it's fear, terror, horror. And and then we explain to them in the clearest possible terms that, look, you're going to get help, support, guidance, God's with you. And we help them to see that, look, we don't think knocking on doors is the best way to get Bible studies, but it teaches the, the skills necessary to succeed in any type of outreach kind of ministry. So hard work, persistence, humility, learning to listen, being sensitive to the spirit, uh, not giving up, having faith, all the things that you need and self-forgetfulness, boldness, say what you need to say when the time comes, humility, humbling yourself, making yourself nothing. Um, So, so all these things, and we explain it to them. And so one of the things that I say, I say, listen, guys, all we're asking you to do is to walk, knock, and talk. You can walk. You can all walk. Who here can yeah. knock? You can all knock. Yes. Who yes. here can talk? Yes. So the great challenge to you going out there and doing this is really not the task itself. It's you. It's yes. your fear, your insecurity, yes. your self-consciousness. Yes. And so do you need any of those things in life? Are they going to help you? Or are they good? Okay, so let's give you this exercise that's going to force you or encourage you, not force you. Yes. It's yes. going to yes. highly motivate you to let yes. go of all these things that you don't need. And think of this as worship. Yeah. You're singing songs in your heart. You're praying yes. to God. And you're yes. communing with God. You're fellowshipping with his sons and daughters who don't mm-hmm. know yet that they're his sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. And just consider this worship. You're going to mm-hmm. church. You're going to talk to people. Do you yes. like people? Are they you know, people are these are God's children. So of think course, of it of like course. I'm going to talk to the sons of God. Yes. I'm going to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in humanity. Yes. yes. And I'm going to be humble and I said yeah. If we could see it as worship, it's yes. worship. It's loving God. It's experiencing yeah. God in a new way. And, and I wonder if that wouldn't take a little bit of the pressure away. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. No, hey, that's a beautiful thought. I really like that, uh, Matt. And that's what being filled with the Spirit, isn't it? It's singing those songs in our heart and connecting with God through His Spirit. And certainly, I really like that. As we go about our day-to-day work, as we engage as your Arise students will with the Pedanas, that's just beautiful. And that knowing that God is also ahead of us, that before you get to the door and you knock at the door, God has already been there. God's already knocked. God is already speaking to that person's life. So God has gone ahead of you and he's actually preparing the way for you in terms of personal evangelism or public evangelism. God has gone ahead of us. And we've got to keep that in mind as well, that he's with us, he's in us. We connect with him. 
but actually he's also gone ahead of us and he's prepared the way for us. And that's pretty cool. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'd love to keep going, but we've got to stop for the sake of time. Kale, thank you for, for joining me. I've really been blessed by what you've shared and, and I'm sure that we all have. And guys, please be encouraged. There's a verse that fumbled around at the beginning of this podcast that I just want to share with you. It's in Matthew 24. Jesus says in verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, this is in the context of his soon return, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, endures in love, he will be saved. And then he says, interestingly, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. If we endure in the love of God and the love of Christ, as Kale said, we will have the inspiration to, mm. to preach the gospel uh, to those who God loves and those who are our brothers and sisters. Yeah, be encouraged, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.